Hello everyone and welcome back to a closer look true crime podcast or welcome if you are new and today we are going to be talking about a case that I've been wanting to cover for a very long time and that is the case of Susan Powell. This case is very upsetting and raw and just quite shocking and disturbing so I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. It is definitely a very upsetting case. It really so much of it was avoidable and it just shows that even if you're wrong, if you suspect that somebody is in a dangerous or bad situation, getting them checked on or trying to help them never hurts anybody and that I feel like this case just proves that. So without further ado, let's get right into today's episode. So Susan Cox or Susan Powell, after she was married, was born on October 16, 1981 in Oregon to her parents, Chuck and Judy Cox. She was described as warm, loving, friendly, selfless, and just a truly amazing mom and friend. Susan was a part of the Mormon community, which, from what I can gather, is a very strict religion. And at one of the church functions she attended at the age of 19, she met a man named Josh Powell. Josh was also Mormon and was born and raised in Oregon. He was born on January 20th of 1976 to his parents, Stephen and Teresa Powell. And Josh had a very disturbing childhood, which really affected his behavior as he grew up. Stephen, his father, was very abusive and caused a lot of emotional and mental damage to Josh. He was also known to be a huge creep and had even shown Josh some very inappropriate things at a very young age, which is not okay. Josh was obviously very traumatized by all of this and had tried to commit suicide in his teenage years. This trauma also caused him to act very erratically and he had even tried to attack Teresa with a knife before after she asked him to do the dishes. So he obviously was not in a great mental state and was very traumatized by his childhood. However, he and Susan hit it off and began dating almost immediately after meeting, and everyone said they seemed like a really cute couple and seemed perfect for each other, and very soon after the meeting, they got married in April of 2001. Shortly after, the couple moved to West Valley, Utah to start their family, and this isn't confirmed, but friends and family of Susan say part of the reason that they decided to move away from Oregon was because Stephen, Josh's father, was acting very inappropriately to Susan, and it was really starting to scare her. He was just being such a creep and he would like run his hand down her back and it was just not good and she just wanted to get out of there and away from Stephen. Then on January 19th, 2005, Susan gave birth to their first baby boy named Charles. Charles was known to love exploring in nature, bugs, everything science related, and he loved to write. Then on January 2nd, 2007, Susan gave birth to their second child, a little boy named Brayden. And Brayden was known to love trains, cars, and transformers, everything like that. And from the outside looking in, they seemed like everything was perfect. They were just super happy and it couldn't have been better. But like most cases I cover, that was definitely not what was going on behind the scenes. Susan often confided in a close friend from her childhood, and she told this friend that Josh was very abusive to her and even owned her. She said that she wanted to leave Josh, but every time she brought it up, he said that if she even tried, he would take the boys and make sure that she would never see them again. Susan's friend also said that she had no idea about Josh's troubled past until Susan started telling her about it because 
Susan and Josh were really good at hiding and masking his behavior and his past and just keeping it behind closed doors. So their relationship was obviously derailing. They were struggling financially, which did not help with the whole situation either. And in April of 2007, Josh even declared bankruptcy. Around this time, Susan also filmed herself giving a tour of their house and showing all their belongings. Uh, this is me. July 29th, 2008. It is 1233 Mountain Time. Um... Covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us that our assets are documented. Hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible. And this is Josh's computer and there's some type of backup device and speakers. Here's the kind of pimping out stuff he's done to his computer. He built it himself. I think there's like five hard drives, something about doing raids. There's those for all the computer geeks. And he bought expensive stuff like these are, I think this was like a couple of thousand dollars of like, it says graphic design templates by stock layouts or something like that. And there is a shop vac. This is all stuff bought in a year or less through Home Depot on my credit. Josh bought a lot of stuff and then he had to bankrupt it. And then he bought a little bit more on my credit. Oh, there's his RC car. It's pretty pimped out. If you can see that stuff. I think he's got probably a 3,000 worth of supplies in the RC car world. Mommy. This is all of Josh, Josh's RC car you. stuff. You are with me. We added these lights, chandelier, chandelier, Josh claimed that was a birthday present I think for me. Hover storm, you bought a stupid hovercraft, remote control toy. Neither that Josh is, and I made, I had to help him all through the way, he doesn't do projects by himself. Josh helped me to pull the mirror out and cut more holes in the wall, said he was going to make shelves, that didn't happen. I had necklaces too, I don't know where those are, just got in a rage, as you can see, and broke this. There's duds and pearls and opals in there. Broke this and threw all my DVDs and made a mess, because he was angry at me about a year or two back. Her family and friends later said that Susan seemed very unhappy in this video and didn't have that cheeriness in her voice that she usually did. And it was believed she did this in case there was a flood or something, but considering what happened to her not long after, this video seems extremely weird and ill-timed, and it just can't be a coincidence. After Susan disappeared, people started speculating that she filmed this as a security video or something in case something happened to her with Josh, because it was just so weird how she kept talking about Josh not helping or his aggressive behavior or how he wrecked things. Fast forward to December 6th, 2009, Susan went to church with Brayden, who was two at the time, and Charles, who was four. Then later that day, a neighbor came to visit Susan at her house and went home around 5 p.m. 
Then the next day, Susan was supposed to drop the boys off at daycare, but the boys were never dropped off at daycare, and the daycare hadn't heard anything from Susan or Josh, so they called Josh's sister, who was their emergency contact, and she said that they had no idea why Susan wouldn't drop off the boys, but she said that she would go over to the house and check on them regardless. Josh's sister went over to the house and knocked on the door for quite a while before calling the police. She was concerned that they might have been poisoned by carbon monoxide, so the police ended up breaking in once they made it to the scene, and inside they found Susan's purse and phone, but nobody was home. They also found two big box fans in their living room pointed at the carpet as if it was just washed and they were trying to dry it, which was a little weird because... It was kind of just spot cleaned, and I don't think that they had any pets at the time, so they were unsure why this carpet would need washing. Josh came home later that day and claimed that he and his sons were on a spontaneous camping trip they left for at midnight the night before, and Susan had just decided not to come with them. Which, first of all, why would you go camping and leave at midnight? Like, it takes a while to get there, and you never, like, I've been camping many, many times in tents and trailers everything and it takes a while to set everything up and find your camp spot and do all this stuff and you definitely don't want to be doing that at like two in the morning or midnight or whatever and in the middle of December is also not ideal camping time it's freezing the boys would have been freezing it wouldn't have been fun it's just very weird that they decided to do this Josh said he didn't know where Susan was but when they left she was just hanging out at home Tell us what, what happened that night. Yeah, I just, I, a lot of times I just go camping with my boys, you know, not, not anything big. I just go overnight and, you know, we do s'mores and stuff like that. And so I just went with the boys. I was planning to do some s'mores in the morning and, um, and we did. And then when we got home... Um, well, on the way home, I found out that people were worried about us. And and, and um, the report is is that neither you nor your wife called in sick, and they said that that's not usual. What what are your thoughts on that? Um, no, it's it's not usual. I. You know, I, I got out to a pretty late start. Nine-ish, something like that. No, it was, it was later. They had stayed at Simpson Springs in West Utah, which police did search for Susan or any sign of Susan, but they didn't have any luck. Another weird thing is that it took Josh two full days to tell Susan's family that she had actually gone missing. He didn't seem... He also didn't seem concerned, upset, sad, and definitely wasn't taking initiative to help spread the word or find Susan. The community was very, very suspicious of Josh from the beginning, and so was Susan's family. Susan's case made national news, which also brought in a lot of opinions, especially on Josh. And Josh was a person of interest since the day Susan disappeared, but wasn't a suspect at this point because they just didn't have enough evidence against him. Then only a month after Susan's disappearance, Josh decided to up and move to his dad's house in Washington. The community and investigators found this really shady because you'd think that if your wife was missing, you would stay close by. 
So they were living with Stephen now, and in 2010, Josh put the boys in a summer camp. And while they were at this camp, one day, Brayden drew a very disturbing picture of him, Josh, and Charles in a minivan, and told a summer camp leader that his mom was in the trunk. He also said that he remembered his mom and dad getting out of the car in a forest, but only his dad came back. Charles also said some similar disturbing things to other adults and even told his teacher that his mommy was dead. However, police still didn't see a reason to arrest Josh or make him a person of interest, even though the public and everyone in Susan's life was 100% sure that Josh was behind her disappearance because who else would have been? And as media attention grew and more and more negative attention was being projected on Josh, Josh decided that the best thing to do to kind of clear up his image was to have his dad start speaking on his behalf. So Stephen went to Utah and started making statements on behalf of Josh and even approached and argued with Susan's family when they were handing out flyers and had a very heated argument with Susan's father. How is you coming here helping to find Susan? It isn't helping to find Susan. How is your standing at our neighborhood market helping to find Susan, Chuck? Steve Powell says Cox is spreading misinformation about his son and harassing his family by staging events where they shop and live. I was in your neighborhood the day the newspaper were there. I wasn't in your neighborhood at all. Chuck is a liar. Chuck is lying. The heated clash took a turn when Susan's husband, Josh, pulled up and made a teary-eyed claim. Chuck Cox uses my sons as pawns in the media to drive whatever message he is trying to drive. Josh and Stephen were basically making every effort possible to paint Susan as a mentally ill, bad person and Josh as a victim. They also started spreading rumors that Susan was cheating on Josh with a man named Stephen Kosher, who disappeared only a few days after Susan. This is most likely untrue, though, because police were never able to find any connection between the two other than the fact that they disappeared around the same time. Stephen also disappeared from Vegas, which was very, very far away from Utah. Stephen, Josh's dad, had also done an interview where he said that Susan had shown sexual interest in him, which always made him uncomfortable, which is completely backwards. We know that Stephen had always been inappropriate with Susan and even wrote a song that was believed to be about Susan and posted it on his website, which I will play a little clip of for you now. I can love you in a secret way. I can love you each and every day. So that was extremely creepy. Steven's obviously a huge creep and was just lying through his teeth about Susan to make her look bad and to make Josh look like a victim. And as I mentioned earlier, Josh and Susan decided to move to Utah almost completely because Steven scared Susan and was acting inappropriately to her. So police searched Steven's home and removed three computers and four boxes of material in that they found 4,500 pictures of Susan, most of them candid, that she probably didn't even know he took, and a large majority of them close-ups of her body. So Stephen was arrested for child pornography and voyeurism, which is essentially watching someone without their knowledge. He pleaded not guilty, and around this time, Brayden and Charles were taken away from Josh's care and put into the foster system. The main reason for this was that investigators believed Josh may hurt them for sharing something they saw on the camping trip or put them in an unsafe situation in that way. Susan's family wasn't immediately seen as a possible guardian option, so they had to go to court to be able to get full custody of the boys. But in September of 2011, they finally gained full custody and Braden and Charles moved in with Susan's parents. 
The judge also said that if Josh moved out of Stephen's house, he would be able to have supervised visits at social service facilities with the boys. So Josh decided that this was important enough to him. He moved into his own house in Graham, Washington and was able to see the kids in a secured facility. Then they later granted Josh home supervised visits where a caseworker takes the boys over to Josh's house and watches them with Josh. And this caseworker that ended up being assigned to the boys in Josh's case was named Elizabeth Hall. She ended up becoming very close with the boys and said the visits were going really well. There didn't seem to be any problems. Josh was being good. The boys seemed to enjoy it. In February of 2012, Josh went to court to continue fighting for custody of the boys, and while in court, the judge brought up a new discovery. Police had recently found inappropriate cartoon drawings in his home, but they couldn't arrest him on anything because they were drawings and not actual images. Instead, they ruled the boys would remain with the grandparents until Josh took a psychological evaluation and they were able to figure out whether he was able to actually care for the boys. And he did not take this very well at all. The next day, he withdrew a bunch of money from his bank account, bought a ton of gas from the gas station, and donated all of his son's toys to a thrift store. Then on February 5th, the boys had another scheduled in-home visit with Josh. Elizabeth picked up the boys from their grandparents' house and drove 10 minutes away to Josh's current home. And while Elizabeth was on her way over, Josh was busy writing an email to all of his friends and family saying, I'm sorry, goodbye and leaving his sister a very distraught voicemail saying he wasn't able to live without his sons and he wouldn't be able to go on anymore, and he ended his message by saying, I'm sorry to everyone I hurt, goodbye. His sister luckily got the voicemail almost immediately and called 911 to tell them that Josh might be in trouble and that she was scared of what he might do to himself and other people. They said that they would send an officer over soon, and in the meantime, she called Josh multiple times trying to get a hold of him, trying to get someone over to the house to check on him. Then Elizabeth showed up at the house, and the boys jumped out of the car and ran to the door. This was something they did often, just because little kids, they like to run places, you know what I mean. So she didn't feel the need to run after them and stay right by their side and reach the door first. She made it to the front door just as the boys were being greeted by Josh and entering the house. And right before she could get inside, Josh gave her a very unsettling look and slammed and locked the door in her face. Elizabeth had no idea what to do because this has never happened before. She didn't know of any situations where this has happened before. So she started banging and yelling at the door, trying to get Josh to let her in. And she said that she could hear Josh say he had a surprise for Charlie and she could hear Brayden crying and screaming, which we later found out was Josh attacking them with a hatchet. So she called 911 and explained the situation and the operator was not being cooperative at all. Elizabeth was also smelling gasoline around the house and was very concerned about that. And the operator was just arguing with her and saying things like how they had to tend to people who were actually in danger and were in a life-threatening situation. So they clearly weren't understanding the severity of this situation. And after several minutes of arguing and Elizabeth trying to convince them that this was a very dangerous situation. They finally agreed to send someone over soon and almost immediately after the call ended, Josh's house blew up and Elizabeth was the only survivor on the property. Other residents nearby said that it felt like an earthquake and was extremely loud. It shook their whole house. So Elizabeth called 911 again to tell them what happened and dealt with yet another difficult dispatcher but finally got help on the scene. 
The community was absolutely shocked and very angry about the whole situation. How could two boys remain unprotected from their father, who was believed to be a killer? Police believed no doubt that Josh was trying to end his life and take the boys with him because of the recent court ruling. And when Stephen was notified what had happened to Josh, he barely seemed to care, which is just a huge red flag. Josh's sister knew something bad like this was going to happen, and she said that since day one, she believed that Josh was behind Susan's murder, and she always was scared of what he might do. The official cause of death for Josh and the boys was determined to be carbon monoxide poisoning, and around this time, more information came out about Josh. Shortly before Susan went missing, Josh had cancelled her regular chiropractor appointment without her knowledge withdrew his kids from their daycare, got rid of Susan's retirement savings account, and casually spoke with a co-worker about how to get rid of a body, specifically in one of Utah's abandoned mine shafts. They also discovered that shortly before his death, Josh made his brother the main beneficiary on his life insurance policy, so police decided to look further into his brother named Michael and found out that two years after Susan went missing, Michael got rid of his car in an abandoned junkyard in Oregon which is very suspicious, and police believe that it is very possible that Michael and Josh worked together in Susan's disappearance. On February 11th, 2013, Michael took his own life, and shortly after that, the case was closed, and they said that they wouldn't be investigating any further. Since then, however, they did find a handwritten will assumed to be Susan's, and it said, quote, If I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one and she instructed whoever had found it to not tell Josh it even existed whatsoever. Police believed that Josh was far more abusive to Susan and the kids than we know of, and unfortunately, we will probably never truly know what was going on behind the scenes and what happened to Susan that day, because anyone who would know is now dead. As for Stephen, he spent seven years in jail and passed away only a year after being released, Susan's family went through an extensive court battle to not only have Susan presumed dead so that they could settle her estate, but also battle Josh's family for Susan's estate, which should have been theirs from the beginning anyways. I don't know why Josh's family would have any right to Susan's estate after what happened. They were finally granted full control of her estate, and in December of 2017, they went back to court to sue Washington's child welfare system for not recognizing how much of a risk Josh was to their grandchildren. One of their attorneys argued that being suspected for his wife's murder, as well as everything the boys had said about him, was a huge red flag that should have been recognized earlier. And eventually, Susan's parents were awarded $98.5 million from the Washington Child Welfare System after they negligently failed to protect their grandchildren from their own father. Anyways, thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. This case is honestly unbelievable and just so horrible. So much of this case was just so avoidable, and it just breaks my heart that everything that happened happened and that Susan's family has just gone through so, so much. I really hope the best for her family and friends, and I'm glad that they were able to win the case against the child welfare system. I definitely think that they should have been held accountable for poor judgment. I hope that you all enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to check out my Instagram for the post dedicated to this case, and I hope to see you next Monday for another episode on a Closer Look True Crime podcast.